everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys. Uh, <laughs> today is so great. Oh, I'm so happy that you're here. This is Jen Hatmaker, your host of the For the Love podcast. Before I get into it, I just wanted to remind you really quickly that there are so many exciting, fun developments that are kind of coming out constantly with my upcoming book. If you haven't seen it on the social medias where I kind of rolled it out, it's called Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire. It comes out April 21st. And basically, it's everything I know and have learned to this point on what it looks like to actually live in freedom and with a sort of fierce, holy fire about you. So it's all in there. But here's my point. I want you to um, be in the know for all the cool stuff coming with it and around it and um, special deals and initiatives and really fun additions. And so here's the very best way you can be the first to know. I hope you are my email friend. That's the way. If you are a subscriber to my email, um, I call you my beloved EFs, my email friends, you get first dibs on everything. So it is so simple to do it. All you have to do is just zip over to jenhatmaker.com and right there on the homepage, there's a place to sign up. It'll take you six seconds. Um, I promise you will be happy you get them. It's not just book stuff, although I'm so excited to share that with you. It's all kinds of stuff. We build out an incredible email for you um, and you'll love it. You'll enjoy it. It's entertaining. It's real. There's It's packed. Um, anyway, jenhatmaker.com, definitely definitely sign up to be one of my EFs. You will not regret it. Okay, you guys, we have been talking to leaders of the faith, leaders of the church who've been at this for decades. Um, They have put their hand to this work for a really long time. And we've been learning from their experiences and from their failures and losses and from their sort of hard fought wisdom. And it has really been amazing. And today... Lucky me. I got to host a conversation with the most reverend Michael Curry. Okay. Just a reminder. Bishop Curry is the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church in America. Okay. So go way up to the top of the heap there. He was elected in 2015 as the very first African American to lead that denomination. Just hugely important. I ask him about this and we talk about it. And so um, for decades and decades, he's been a noted advocate for human rights and the author of several fabulous books. Um, here's how you probably know him. For those of you who are outside of the Episcopalian church, Bishop Curry is recognized as one of the most popular preachers in the English language, um, because you've probably seen him preach. If you happen to remember um, Harry and Meghan's royal wedding, remember that little thing? That little thing seen by one-sixth of the human population? Um, Remember that fabulous sermon? That was Bishop Curry. Bishop Curry preached the sermon at the royal wedding. (laughs) Oh, don't worry. I ask him all about it. We are going to talk about what it was like to take a phone call um, about doing the royal wedding and what it was like. Because, of course, I was watching the royal wedding in the middle of the night like a very, very good loyalist. Okay? My sister and mom and I all had our fascinators on. I tell him this because I have no shame. Um, So that was my introduction to Bishop Curry. And I immediately followed him everywhere. Everywhere I could find him, I Googled all the information about him. So you're going to love this conversation. Oh my goodness. I'm just telling you, we talk about the royal wedding, of course, but we really dig into what love looks like. I don't know if you saw the sermon in the wedding, but his whole, he, he structured the whole thing on what he called the way of love. And so we talk about that in this horrible world right now, in this divided country. What does it mean? What does it look like? Uh, It's so good. Like our whole conversation, I'm just leaning forward like on the edge of my seat, hanging on every single word. You are going to love him. 
You are going to learn from him today. We are so lucky to have him for the love listeners. Like we don't deserve this and I don't know why we have it. I don't, I don't know why these amazing leaders speak to us over here on our little show all the time, but uh, I am so grateful for their investment in our community. And today is no exception. So please enjoy my outstanding, fascinating conversation with the ever wonderful Bishop Michael Curry. Well, it is my absolute delight to welcome Bishop Michael Curry to the For the Love podcast today. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for saying yes. Oh, how could I say no to you? It got to <laughs> it say yes. It is possible. It is so possible. <laughs> um, you and I um, got to chat uh, just a few weeks ago on your podcast yes. and I just immediately hung up the call with you and texted my team and said, well, I mean, we just have oh. to have him on the show. That's just the next thing that has to happen. <laughs> well, I tell you, I told everybody, I said, we got to have her back. Said, oh, yay. I'm going to, I'm your, I'll be your biggest cheerleader. Okay. Well, absolute same. So let's just keep oh. each other's numbers in our hip pockets and just know it's always a possibility. Sure thing. Um, so Bishop Curry, I have told my listeners just sort of uh-huh. the high level information about you and who you are. Um, uh-huh. So, you know, for a lot of us, of course, our introduction to you, um, for those of us who weren't in the Episcopalian church, uh-huh. was just a little wedding you performed. That is where we wedding. met you. Yes. And, yes. Um, and we all fell hard hard. I mean, we fell hard oh. for you. Um, I don't know if you could hear the echo of Twitter everywhere, but every one of us was trying to tweet out every single sentence <laughs> you said um, over the wow. course of that entire wedding. It was so beautiful. So I wonder if you would indulge me for just a minute sure. and and tell my listeners a little bit more about you and your mm-hmm. work and your mm-hmm. path to get all the way to where you are today. Well, I grew up um, in Episcopalian, in the Episcopal Church. Yeah. My my father was um, an Episcopal priest. Um, his daddy was a Baptist preacher, and hmm. his granddaddy was a Baptist preacher. Yep. Um, well, actually, a preacher. I'm not sure if he was Baptist or going that far back, but okay. but a preacher. And um, so I kind of come from a family of preachers, um, and um, I, you know, kind of grew up in the womb of the church, if you mm-hmm. will. And uh, I grew up in a home where um, the, the ministry of, of, of Jesus Christ was really, it was taken seriously yeah. um, and um, was linked directly with um, both um, our relationship with God, but also our relationship with each other as human beings, as children of God. Hmm. And so I grew up with a father who was very much involved in civil rights uh, work um, in Buffalo, New York. And, um, and so I just always grew up with a view of faith of following Jesus as having implications for both my spiritual, social, and our political and corporate lives together. It was all intertwined. Um, and um, and that, that's just kind of the world I grew up in. Um, I went to uh, went off the, to school, um, I mean, to college eventually, and, and you know, and kind of um, didn't know for sure what I was going to, what I wanted to do for sure. You know, I kind of, I had, had worked on um, uh, the, uh, campaign for for Bobby Kennedy when he was running for Senate, um, and you know when I say I worked, I mean I licked envelopes and you know put stuff in mailboxes, um, but you know it, it was my way of participating. And um, and then when he ran for president as well, um, and uh, and so I really had a vision of maybe um, uh, you know kind of entering politics, going to law school, and enter politics um, as one path. Of, of actually being able to do something that, that makes a positive difference. And it was while I was in college that I took a course. Um, um, I mean, I was an economics major at the beginning, and then I took a course in the religious studies department um, called Prophetic Imagination. Oh, great and, title. Oh, it was, mm-hmm. it was incredible. I mean, I read people I had never heard of before. Um, and, and for, I mean, for the most part, Christian writers, theologians, and um uh, uh, other biblical scholars as well. And I mean, it, it was like my eyes started opening up and I remember reading more specifically some of the works of Dr. King and actually reading, not just having, not just hearing him, yeah. but actually reading um, more of his work. Hmm. Um, and I began to say, you know, it may be that ministry actually 
is an avenue for making a deeper impact and being able to actually reach both body, mind, and spirit. Um, and, and so anyway, that led to the journey that eventually led to me um, heading off the seminary and yeah. um, being ordained. Yeah. I mean, and here you are, kind of at the top of the pile, if you will. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> can you believe it? I mean, what an incredible yeah. journey of ministry you have had and in a, yeah. in a thousand ways and for a thousand reasons, but not the least of which is, of course, you know, being the very first African-American to lead this denomination. I'm curious how that feels to you. What is what is the lived experience of occupying a space without precedence huh. like that? You know, I, there's a part of me that, um, you know, day to day, you, you kind of do your job day to day. Totally. Um, but, but there's a part of me that's very aware um, that God's got to got something to do with this. Yes. I, I really know that. Um, you know, there's all sorts of little things happen that I know, for example, um, you know, I, I, I didn't ask the preacher to royal wedding. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't put in my resume for the job. Right. You know, I, I mean, there was no, it was just kind of happenstance and a variety of things that I had no control of really. Mm. And, and when I, even when I got there, I, I was very aware that this really wasn't Michael. This was not about Michael Curry. Hmm. Um, I mean, I knew that. Um, and I knew that I'd mess up if hmm. Michael got in the center. And I knew that I had to say something about Jesus Christ and yep. his gospel. Yeah. I had, if I wasted that, hmm. then woe unto me. Wow. I knew that. And I know that about being presiding bishop. I know, I mean, I, you know what I mean? So that, yep. that kind of keeps you humble and keeps it real. Sure does. Um, it really does. And and so, you know, to take that space and to realize that God put you here mm. for God's purposes. Um, and, and my job, like Dr. King actually said in his last speech that night before he was killed, he said, I just want to do God's will. That's right. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Michael Curry is as sinful and as vain as everybody else. But at the end of the day, I just want to do God's will. That's I so really great. Do. Well, and, you've you've not squandered that responsibility. Well, on, on the best days, there are other days. Well, yeah, same, same here. <laughs> um, but I mean, wow, that was something to watch. Listen, my listeners will just kill me if I don't ask you this. We're about to get into okay. some other stuff, but I uh, I have to ask you what it felt like when the phone rings and someone says, "Hey, um, Bishop, we're <laughs> interested in you saying a few words in front of God and Oprah and also the Queen of England." Like. That is a weird phone call. Did yeah. you, were you just shell-shocked? I mean, the royal wedding for crying out loud. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't believe it. I, mean, I, be- I, I bet you didn't. No, I didn't believe it. I, I, I thought it was, I thought members of my staff were, were punking you? like an April Fool's joke. Yes. Yeah, I was, exactly. Um, and it was one of, uh, uh, Chuck Robertson, who uh, is a member of the staff, was uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury's office reached out to him, got him. Yeah. And I was, I think I was on an airplane traveling somewhere. So I wasn't reachable. So they got Chuck and explained it to him. And so once I landed, um, Chuck got hold of me. And I said, get out of here, Chuck. What is it you want? I mean, what do you really want? I didn't believe it. (laughs) Of course. And once he convinced me, um, and this is sort of the funny part, uh, not only uh, once I realized this was for real, then I couldn't tell anybody. Oh, I couldn't even tell my wife. We couldn't tell anybody on staff. We couldn't tell him because it was just all embargo because they were really trying to not trying to manage um, the the media and 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 how the news of the various things went out. So you couldn't tell your wife. Nope. Oh, my God. It it was about a month later when we were given permission to tell her. Uh, but it was funny because I was supposed to be somewhere else that particular weekend in the yeah. Diocese of Arizona. Yep. And so I, so we did have to ask, can we at least tell the Bishop of Arizona yeah. why I can't come? And he can, he can't tell anybody, but yeah. we got to tell the guy something. And so they did give us permission to tell him, and, oh, but we had to swear him to secrecy. Yeah. And um, at that point, he's got to give you a pass. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's an easy so, out right there. Um, was, and, and when I, I was in Arizona later, um, to ordain their new bishop. Yeah. And I said, now, I owe you guys. They said, we know. <laughs> 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 and 
Arizona. Oh my goodness. I mean, it was oh. such a spectacular ceremony. And I'm not kidding when I tell you that it was, I found it the most meaningful and the most magical because of you. And we were not expecting it. You know, I mean, listen, you have to understand. I got up in the middle of the night. Um, with my sister and my mom, we had on the fascinators, you know, the little hats. Did you actually have your fascinator? Oh, did I ever? We had them ordered weeks in advance. We watched it live. It was dark outside the middle of the night. So when I tell you I was invested, I'm not even kidding. And your sermon in the middle of it was so unexpected and so wonderful and so challenging and so delightful. I, I just, I couldn't, we just couldn't believe it. We just couldn't believe it. We just kept looking at each other going, Google him. Who's Bishop Curry? Who is this? Who is this person? We we needed him in our lives. Were you nervous? Oh. You had to have been nervous, right? Um, I mean. Yeah, somewhat. But, you know, actually, you know, one of the, the, the nice thing is at, uh, I guess I was 65 when I did that. Yeah. After, after uh, almost 40 years of, of being ordained, I've done enough way. That's true. You have. That one thing I've learned is preach to the couple. Oh, that's great. Preach to the couple, focus mm. on them, and you're going to touch everybody else. Oh, that's so great. Oh, and and so once I was doing it, I mean, of course, I was nervous ahead of time, but but once I was preaching, I was just, I, it was, they were another couple. Like, oh. I have no, I, I, I mean, yep. hundreds of couples that I've married yep. over the years, um, and I was talking to them. That's so great. And that, that helps. It sure does. something in your life holding you back from either reaching your goals or just being healthy, uh, it might be time to talk it through with someone. And I'm telling you, it has never been easier to find help on your own time and your own terms, thanks to BetterHelp Counseling. With BetterHelp, you get to connect to a professional counselor in a completely safe and private online environment. Your counselor is available via text, chat, phone, video, which is so convenient for real life. BetterHelp has 3,000 licensed therapists across the U.S. who specialize literally in whatever you're trying to work through. Anxiety, depression, difficult relationships, trauma, um, LGBTQ pain or issues, grief or anger, plus financial aid is available for those who qualify. So cost doesn't have to hinder you from getting the help that you deserve. BetterHelp is offering my listeners 10% off your first month with the discount code for the love. So to get started, just head over to betterhelp.com slash for the love fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a counselor that you love. So that's betterhelp.com slash for the love. Okay, guys, back to our show. So I want to talk about this idea around the way of love, which is of course oh. the phrase that you used in that wedding. And it was, it just, it was, it was lightning for the rest of us, um, resonated with, you know, tens of millions of us. Um, and it kind of, it felt like, and still feels like your vision for the way of love has become its own movement, um, with its own momentum. Can you talk a little bit more about it, the genesis of that idea, as you um, begin putting, wrapping language around the charge that you were going to present then? And then, of course, mm-hmm. of course, before and after. This is not a new concept for you or for any of us. But sure. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about the way of love and how that formed. Everything I said was basically what Jesus taught us. Totally. It, was, it really was. The nice thing was I didn't have to invent anything new. Right. Um, and the reality is that at the heart of the life of Jesus, um, the teachings of Jesus, and the reality of Jesus as as the living Lord today um, is love. Yeah. Uh, you know, First John chapter four. You know, it's just such a. It's just such. I don't think there's any better theology mm. anywhere else. It's just that clear. Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God, and those mm. who love are born of God and mm. know God. Those who do not love do not know God because God is love. Mm. Uh, now, love is not God, but God is love. That's good. And and that that is the core 
um, you know, that conversation between Jesus and the, the lawyer in Matthew 22, mm-hmm. um, where he says, what's the greatest uh, law in, in, in all of the teachings of Moses? And for Jesus to reach back to the mm-hmm. Shema in Deuteronomy 6 and to Leviticus and pull together love of God and love of neighbor, and then to say, on these two hang all the law mm-hmm. and the prophets. Yeah. That is a stunning declaration. Mm-hmm. He says everything that Moses taught, everything that the prophets thundered forth about, everything that is said or that is about God is about love. Mm-hmm. Love of God, love of neighbor. Mm-hmm. And I add, I'm not adding, I think Jesus meant it. And yeah. while you add it, love of self. Yeah. That that, that that's that that's mm-hmm. the core. So that so that everything, I mean, I would argue that. Jesus was basically saying is you want the whole Bible hmm. is trying to show us ways to love God and love each other. Yes. And that that's what it's even the Ten Commandments, if you think about it, if you look at the Decalogue, um, and you know, Exodus 19, for example, the first set focus on our relationship with God, the last set focus on our relationship with each other. Hmm. It's the, it's love of God, love of neighbor. That that is the key. So that love. Um, you know, not as it's not as a sentiment. Um, I mean, t- of course, there's a sentimental mm-hmm. side to human love and romantic love, mm-hmm. but but love that must move beyond being a sentiment to becoming a commitment, a commitment to seek the good and the welfare and the well-being of others, mm-hmm. um, as well as the self. That that kind of love um, reflects the love of God. The God who so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Mm-hmm. He didn't take. He that's gave. Right. That's what mm, love does. That's good. And and that's a game, Jen. That's a game changer. Mm. It's a it that that is a real game changer. It's not easy mm. uh, because sometimes some folk are hard to love. That's right. And 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 love doesn't mean um um what I mean it doesn't mean just kind of being a doormat. It has nothing right. to do with that. Um, it, but it does mean seeking what is the good, what is the what is the greatest good possible in this relationship, in, in, in this context? And how do I make that happen? How do I become an instrument of that? I was somewhere just this past weekend and a soloist stood up and sang um, from the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Lord, make us instruments of your love. Um, that, and I, I just believe that that is, um, that's the hidden dynamite mm. in our faith. And that sort of simple through line has changed mm-hmm. my life too. And then the way that we've structured and organized our life and the way that we yeah. um, operate in the world. But it's so, it's, I'd like to hear your take on this because you've been pastoring for so many years. Why do you think, and I think there's a lot of answers here, but you're right. That is Jesus took it all and that's how he distilled it for us. And we have mm-hmm. to know that that was on purpose and that was mm-hmm. real and true and good and right. And so why do you think we as his followers make faith a thousand times more complicated than that, than, than what Jesus handed to us? Why, why do we do that? Why oh. do we take our rules and our laws so far beyond what Jesus told us to do, which is you just yeah. mentioned, love him, love people, love ourselves? That is a, boy, now that is a real question. I don't know that I know fully the answer to that, yeah. to be honest, Jen, but I, I, I have some suspicions. I think part of it spins out of a misunderstanding of love. It's it's the same dile- dilemma between faith and works. You know, in the New Testament, there's this constant struggle between faith and works. Are we justified, put right with God by faith, or are we put right with God by works? Um, or it's it's really not an either or. I um, mean, we're put right with God by faith, but real faith leads to works. You right. Know? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's not that much, but, but it's that same tension. Um, and you see it in the New Testament, in, for example, in the Epistle of James where he says, um, you know, it's not good enough to just say you have faith, but then you see somebody in need and you don't respond to their need. Right. I mean, faith by itself is dead, but faith that leads to works that of love is life. It's, it's easy to live in either ors. Hmm. It's hard to live by both ends. That's so true. And I think love forces us to sometimes live with both ends. 
give you an example. Um, I can love you. I must love you. Even when I disagree with you. Hmm. And even when you don't love me back. Uh, you see what I mean? Yep. That's not either or. That's right. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, we're in this together. That is hard. It sure is. And so an easy way out is, well, if I just come up with some specific rules and don't have anything as big as love, I can manage that better. That's true. Or sometimes control it better. <laughs> That's true. You see what I mean? Um, love is too demanding. It mm. really is. The real deal is really too demanding. And so I think our, at least I know with me, I, I tend to want to avoid that. I love to, I mean, one of the things that I've learned in, in work, work of social justice, mm -hmm. it is so easy to become self-righteous. Yes. <laughs> it is so easy. I mean, it, it is, you know, it, it just is. And that you become righteous for the cause and you try, you want to do the good thing and the right thing. And you believe you're doing the right thing. And therefore people who don't agree with you are wrong. I'm going to heaven and you're going to hell. No, love, love doesn't work that way. See, love says, okay, there may be a right thing. And you may have some intimation of it, but you don't have the whole of it. Mm, that's good. And the people who disagree with you and have another perspective may know something you don't. Yeah, gosh. You might learn from them. And even if you don't, you got to love them anyway. Right. Because they're your sister, they're your sibling, your brother. Mm. And so love is much bigger than being right. It's about being love. Being love. It's so hard. It's hard. It's, it's as you said, it's, it's the harder path, not the easier path. I think it gets a bad reputation, this posture of love as being soft or yes. um, easy or avoiding hard things, when in fact, it's, I find it to be the opposite. It's interesting that you mentioned self-righteousness because um, I see a lot like kind of in, in my ministry and in my work mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. a lot of people step away from a church that they experienced as self-righteous in, in their childhoods or even in their adulthoods mm -hmm. for that matter. And then in doing so, and I'm the first, I'm raising my hand as the most guilty, become self-righteous, just opposite, right? Just, yes. just in a yes. different space. Um, right. But then that it's the same sort of posture. And I find the way of love really challenging because it's not really revered in the public square. No. Um, people don't like it. They don't like when you find a way to um, stay connected or reach across lines or spaces. Yes. Um, that in and of itself is a, it's a real draw for criticism. So let me ask you this. What does love look like toward people who may be um, causing harm or trauma oh, yes. or toward right. those on the powerful right. side of an injustice? Um, right. Especially if they are using faith as either a shield or mm -hmm. a justification. How does love play there? It's interesting. If you look at Romans 12, mm -hmm. um, I was, I mean, I was reading it the other day. And um, Romans 12 is the, you know, present your bodies as living sacrifice. Yes. Holy and to God. And then he goes into um, several verses down. He goes into this discourse on love. And then he concludes that discourse on love by then saying, now do not be overcome by evil, hmm. but overcome evil with good. Yes. It, it is, Paul is equating love as working the good. Hmm. Now, if you stop and ask it, say, That's if good. love is equal to the good, mm -hmm. then what is the good in this situation? That's a great question. You see, how do I accomplish or realize or help to realize what is the good in this situation or the greatest good that, that can be attained? Because sometimes there's no perfect good on this side of Jordan. So you get so you're going to get an approximation anyway. Right. Our love is never um, what God's love is. It's an approximation of that. That's true. So what does love look like? when you're dealing with somebody who is mistreating you or mm. abusing you. Yes. 
you don't or like other people, people, or they're using or their people. faith to harm or traumatize or exclude right. a whole people group. Finding the good in that situation is how do I help? How do, how can I um, stop the hurt hmm. that's being done? That's good. And find a way to bring help and healing if that's possible. Yes. Sometimes it's not possible right away. But how do you, so for example, um, um, loving uh, doesn't mean allowing somebody to abuse me. Right. Because if I really love me and love them, I can't allow the abuse to continue. Mm, that's good. But it doesn't mean I have to heap more abuse on them. Mm. It means that I have to find a way um, to stop the abuse, to stop the harm, to protect myself or protect whoever's being harmed. Mm-hmm. As, as well of seeing if it's possible for them to get the help they need as well as me to get them the help that I need. Hmm. The point is, how can I bring the good, that which is healing and that which actually helps, into that situation? It That's doesn't good. mean letting bad behavior continue. That's great. That's a great grid um, to think it through because love is just a word that is thrown about so casually in some degree, in some way it's lost its meaning, its depth, its, its impact. Um, and so that is a really wonderful way to think about bringing love to bear really Mm -hmm. on any given situation with any given person or people group. And that that's a great filter, um, for us to imagine what love looks Mm. like played out in your most optimistic moment. Um, Uh when, when you're having a good day, when you've had Uh enough coffee, um, (laughs) when you have not been on Twitter, um, (laughs) please, please, please make it stop. Um, how would you suggest that in practice at its, at its highest level that, how do you think love could change our culture right now? The world that we are living in, um, specifically our American culture and the, it's so, you know, of course disintegrated and fragmented and it's, it's, yeah. it's fear-based and it's full of fury and anger and, uh, these binary ideas that as you mentioned, yes. really aren't even true. And so mm-hmm. I wonder how you see love as the antidote here. I, well, I can give you a, a good practice, I mean, a practical example. Okay. Um, one of the things that I think is going to be critical for the health of our democracy in the yeah. long run, not, not necessarily in the short, it may not fix things in the short run, but mm-hmm. in the long run, is I really do believe we have to have a revival of relationships. That's great. In this I do country. too. I really do. I've begun to realize that to a great extent, we don't know each other. Hmm. There was an incident, um, this was a couple of years ago during the last presidential campaign mm-hmm. in in Fayetteville. I'm in Raleigh right now, but in Fayetteville um, at uh, one of President Trump's rallies when he uh-huh. was running for, I think it was in the Republican primary season. And um, there were some protesters who were protesting um, Trump. Uh-huh. And then there were people who were supportive, protest right. in the rally. And um, the police es- came and escorted the protesters out. And as they were escorting the protesters out, um, one of the Trump supporters um, literally jumped over the police and punched hmm. um, another guy in the face, yeah. one of the protesters in the face. So he was arrested. The guy was, who pu- did the punching right. was arrested. Um, and, um, at the time he said something and it was carried in the, in the Raleigh news, news and observer. Um, he said something like, oh, we don't know who this guy is. He could be a terrorist for all we know. Hmm. And, and, you know, that was quoted in the newspaper. Well, a month later or whenever, um, he was, um, sentenced, um, the guy he punched was there at the sentencing. Um, and after he had been sentenced, um, uh, the guy who did the punching went over to the guy he punched. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is pretty close. He said, I'm sorry about what I did to you. Really? Um, He really did. He said, Mm. I'm sorry about what I did to you. And um, he said, "Um, our country's in a real mess. Mm. And we've got to do something to heal our country. Wow. Mm. Jen, we have to do something to heal our country. And part of the key of that is, is... a revival, I mean, I just call this a revival of relationships between us. It so happened that the guy who punched the other guy was a white guy, the Trump supporter. The other guy was black. 
So you have racial divide, you have ideological divide, political divide, all that stuff going on. And uh, we can't, a country cannot continue. Abe Lincoln, quoting Jesus, said a house divided against itself cannot stand. Right. Um, and it's true. It is. And and that's not just a political situation. That doesn't yield just political um, solutions. Um, relational solutions are the key. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, one of the realities in our society is that we we have been segregated and fragmented, not just along racial lines now, but along socioeconomic lines. That's true. Political lines. Remember reading that book, the uh, the Big Sort, um, yeah, a few years ago, where they said, you know, basically people live in neighborhoods with people who pretty much agree with them. So exactly. Republicans live in Republican neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Democrats live in Democrat neighborhoods, and um, you know, black and it's ethnic, it's racial, yeah, totally. it's political. And when you get to even on TV, um, liberals watch MSNBC. Yeah. Conservatives watch Fox. Right. Folk in between CNN, I guess. I right. Know what they, but, right. But the point is, everybody picks and chooses on our playlist. I mean, I don't buy entire albums anymore. Hmm. I pick and choose the it's music true. I want from different. That's how we're beginning to live our lives. It's yeah, like we're right. living playlist lives. Hmm. Um, and the truth is, that kind of fragmentation, separation, that's a kind of segregation. It is. You cannot build a democracy on a segregated reality. That's great. And so a revival of relationships. And I, I mean, when I'm preaching in various places, I tell folk, you want to know what love looks like? Well, any Democrats in the House, hmm. you need to go and find and love on a Republican. That's great. Any Republicans in the House, you need to yeah. go find a Democrat, love on a Democrat. Any independents, you can hmm. go either way. Go find somebody. It's but, true. And so this love thing is not a sentiment. This is a commitment that Ugh. the democracy itself may well depend on. I could not agree more. And I, that bears out, that counsel bears out for me in my real life. There's this one version of everything that I see that is kind of online and through the pundits and on the news stations. And and it's very wild and reckless and it's, um, it's polarized and uh-huh. it, it makes great use of dehumanization really from mm-hmm. either side. And and then there's another reality that I experience in my real life because I've got in my in my own family of origin mm-hmm. we're kind of we run the gamut of political um, oh ideologies yes. and uh, what, how we think the country should be run. We have different fiscal mm-hmm. ideas, um, but in my own life, I see a much more. I see the fruit of loving one another. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it creates some space for us to remain in dialogue and to yeah. remain in relationship, of course, and <laughs> to honor one another's humanity, um, even as we have different ideas inside of structures and systems. And so I mm-hmm. I appreciate your counsel. And I don't think it's, I don't find that soft at all. I find it mm-hmm. hard and necessary. Um, it's hard. But yes. it's going to have to be intentional, right? Because to your point, we live in our silos on purpose. We live in our neighborhoods. We are in our churches that are incredibly siloed out. And yes. they very much lack diversity. They're incredibly yeah. homogenous. And so yes. I mean, we're going to have to do this on purpose, right? We can't expect yes. this just to happen. Yes. Amen. E pluribus unum must become a decision. Mm. It mm. will not happen by default. Mm. Mm. From many one people, it won't happen by default. I agree, I, and and I don't think it's gonna. You said a mention a minute ago. It's this is a long term strategy. It's not yes. a quick fix. It can't possibly be. We're too broken. Um, right. But it is a long game worth playing. Um, yes. We got to hedge our bets on love, and yep. believe that it's as powerful as Jesus told us it was. Yes. Um, even when it's going to be misunderstood in our communities, right? Because Preach. our communities prefer that we stay siloed. Yes. That makes us feel right. Obviously, we know at this point that getting in shape is not about reaching a magic number on the scale. It's really about just building healthier habits and feeling great about yourself. So one of my tip top favorite tools to feel stronger in my body is an app called Noom. 
Noom isn't like, it's not a diet or any of that nonsense. It's kind of a habit changing solution. And they help you learn to develop just a new relation, not just with food, but also with your body through very personalized courses. It's just like this healthy and ultimately easy to stick to way of life. Um, One of my favorite things that Noom has taught me is that there is no such thing as good or bad food. That is not a thing. That's, that's not real. And so they empower me to eat with that in mind. And I, it's just changed the way I think about it all. So you can just sign up for a trial today. If you want to just check it out at noom.com slash for the love. So I'll spell it. It's N O O M dot com slash for the love. I'm just telling you that you are worth this investment in yourself. You are visit noom.com slash for the love to start your trial today. All right, guys, back to our show. You mentioned earlier in our conversation how you sort of had your comeuppance through um, activism and social justice, that you had a real front row seat to the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to hear you talk more about that, your journey um, through social justice as a kid and then a young adult, and of course, now as a, as a faith leader. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, the changes that you have seen, having borne such close witness and participation mm-hmm. through the years, um, in terms of what you believe that people on the margins, and of course that is a lot of categories, mm-hmm. um, what do they need from their allies? Um, and how have you seen those spaces develop and grow and change? You know, it's interesting. Um, I was um, a child during the civil rights era. Hmm. Um, this would be the late 50s, 60s. Yeah. But as it evolved, um, there was a period when it was clearly deeply grounded in faith. Um, I mean, just no question about that. Um, all of the, the the talk of nonviolence, the, the talk right. of love was at the center of it, that love is the mother of justice, that mm. justice apart from love can quickly degenerate into re- revenge. Yeah. And so so that love had to be, was at the root of it. Then the movement evolved and, and began to, I would almost say secularize. Hmm. Um, and as it secularized, it began to peter out. Oh, interesting. It lost its energy. I mean, those who were committed stayed committed, but it lost a lot of its energy and vitality. Hmm. Now, I think that's a parable that that those who are committed to the work of social justice and social change for the mm-hmm. good, um, it needs to be, it needs to have a God base. Mm. Or it will either, one, peter out, uh-huh. or two, degenerate into self-righteous, just another political party. Wow, interesting. And so one of the learnings for me is we need God in this. Mm, gosh. And, 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 and we need, I, I mean, I need Jesus. I really do. Uh, because Michael Curry by himself is just not enough. Yeah. Um, like that old Broadway play, your arms are too short to box with God. Yeah. You need God, mm. you know? So that's one thing. Um, the, the other thing that I'm aware of is that justice can't be just for us. That's great. True justice must be for all. Totally. And, you know, I mean, you know, we even say it in the Pledge of Allegiance, um, uh, what is that? Pledge leads to the flag, United States of America, and due to the republic for which it stands, mm-hmm. one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Notice that word indivisible. Talk mm-hmm. about a revolution, a, a, a revival of relationships. Great point. And yeah, it's right there in our pledge. There it is. Um, and so, actually, I've never said that publicly before. I hadn't thought mm-hmm. of it before. Yeah. Thank you, Jen. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that a whole notion that justice must be for all. And not just for all who are Americans, That's but for great. all human beings. That's right. That 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 our God is a just God. Amos, let 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 justice roll down right. like righteousness, and righteousness like an overflowing brook. I mean that that's at the heart of the God who is love is a just God and a compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast mercy. But He's mm. just. That's right. He is just. He's the standard of justice. So so it must justice must be for all. 
Justice by itself, though, is not enough. Hmm. Just as God in God's very being brings together justice and mercy, so yes. must we. That's great. So must we. Wow, it's and, a high and holy and, calling, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it is hard. Mm, sure is. It's, we live in a desire for either ors. I know it. And sometimes there are either ors, but not most of the time. That's I right. mean, I used to say when I was young, oh, I could see black and white. And now that I'm getting old, I see a lot of gray. Oh, right. I see the same thing. The older <laughs> yeah. I get, the less I know. <laughs> That's, That's just, right. I know yes, less right. every year. It's true. Yes. It's amazing. It, <laughs> and know. so, you know, and so there, there really is, a, most of life is lived with gray. Hmm. Most of the tough decisions. I mean, they're easy everyday decisions. Are easy, but, but there's a lot of gray. Yeah. Uh, you know, even as a bishop um, in a position that I hold, there are a lot of times when I have to eventually make decisions or help the church make decisions um, where there are no clear winners and there are no clear losers. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Where it's not black and white, mm-hmm. um, where it's, is, is, it's, it's shades of gray. Mm-hmm. And, and what is the best we can do in tough circumstances or situations? What's the best we can do? Mm-hmm. Um, um, I mean, I, you know, there, there are times that the church has hurt people. And there are times when the church has to own up that we've been, we've hurt people and that's not the way of Jesus. Hmm. And we have to face up to that. And how do we face up to that? There's no solution, Hmm. but you can do as much healing as you can do as much good as you can. You know, who is it? John Wesley, um, Hmm. that famous Wesley saying, do all the good you can in every way you can. That's right. You can't do all of it, but you can do all the good that you can. That's great. And, and that, and that's, that's, t- that's why we resort, I says, because that's so difficult to do sometimes. It's easier to resort to simplistic rules. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And to your point, it's also easier to just toe the line instead of lean into humility and repentance oh. when we have been wrong. I just, yeah. I just see a church craving that from its leaders right now, um, just craving that sense of, of humility to be able to say, we got this wrong and it caused yes. harm and yeah. it caused pain. And we, we wish we could go back and change it. We cannot do that. So from here we say, we ask your forgiveness and we're committed to do better. I, yes. I, I, my, yes. I, my eyes are always looking for those leaders. I am, where are yes. they in the world? I'd love to yeah. see what an open-handed leadership structure would look like to say, we mm-hmm. are literally in this for the love of God and people. And that is it. And when we've missed that mark, may we be um, gentle and merciful and humble enough to say it and yes. and turn from it and restructure or reevaluate our practices. And um, I just, I find that we're hungry for that. And that, that brings me to my next question for you. I know that you speak often to students and young adults and um, young people of faith. And so it's no mystery that the church in general, the large church, all of it, um, is, is struggling to retain yes. the loyalty and the spiritual imagination of the next generation. I mean, every mm-hmm. single marker trends yeah. downward here. Um, right. And so I'm curious to that end, um, as we look toward the next generation, mm-hmm. what is something that's giving you hope inside the Episcopalian church right now mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as we as we seek to pass the baton to the young people? Well, I tell you, and I think one of the dilemmas, um, one way to say it is, uh, and this is the borrow from the old preachers, used to say, sometimes we spend so much time majoring in minors and minoring in the majors mm-hmm. that we miss the mark. Totally. And I, my sense is that culturally, and I'm just thinking of American culture right now. Sure. We have often spent, as Bishop Bashtai McKenzie of the AME Church says, spent more time with churchianity than mm. Christianity. That's a great term. And I think there's there's not as much interest, and I think rightly so, in churchianity. That's right. Um, I think Jesus is of much more interest. I do too. His teachings, much more interest. Mm. The teachings of his life, much more interest. Mm. The reality of who he is and can be for us now, much more interest. You're right. 
I would submit that when the church majors in the major, the main thing, uh, there will be interest again. That's great. When biblical scholars look at the early origins of Christianity, they talk in the work of Jesus. When Jesus of Nazareth was on earth, Mm -hmm. they refer to it as a Jesus movement. Yeah. And um, I want to suggest that the church will find its life again, new in new ways um, for old and new generations when we stop living as primarily institutional church and begin to exist as a Jesus movement where Jesus of Nazareth is at the center of our life and we try to live a life together that looks something like his life. As we do that, um, I can assure you, I think that movement, that Jesus movement, that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew's gospel, as in Matthew 16, where he said um, that the gates of hell will not prevail against that. The institution will come and go. But that Jesus movement, if you will, that, that, that even Pilate couldn't stop that. Hmm, right. Even Pilate couldn't hmm. stop that. The Roman Empire couldn't stop that. Um, and so I think um, when we stop majoring in minors um, and major in the majors, the real thing, or better yet, major in the Messiah, then I think that message of Jesus, that reality of Jesus, will apply to any and all generations. I couldn't agree more. And it's so contagious. It's so inviting because yes. it informs real life. That yeah. a community built around the teachings of Jesus and following in his footsteps, looks a, it looks some kind of way. I mean, yes, it, it is radical and it is inclusive and it is wild yeah. with like holy fire and mercy and it changes structures mm-hmm. and it challenges systems. I mean, it has yes. real world repercussions for yes. how that community is living. And so, yeah, that can't be denied. If the church, <laughs> I mean this as nicely yes. as I possibly can, but if the church, its structure, its in, the institution yes. of it was my only fuel, the fire had burned out a long time oh. ago, to be honest with you. Yes. But Jesus, he just, I can't yes. get away from that guy. You know, nope. I mean, That's right. it's too, he's too wonderful and too thrilling and the exact kind of leader that I'm always craving. And so, I mean, that's the, that's it. That keeps me yes. in. That keeps me in this thing. Let me ask you one last question before we wrap it up. Sure. Um, I'd love to just hear, like, what has you spiritually curious right now? Is there, is there a, something inside of scripture or inside of faith or inside of the church that's capturing your imagination or your attention? Because it's interesting, you know, true and sincere faith has a, and scripture has this way of constantly renewing itself, even in our own lives. You know, even yeah. when this is our work, our livelihood, um, it still manages to be new. Like year after year, yes, there's something fresh true. for me, something new. Um, I'm just curious, like what right now are you, what's what's going around in your head that you find like spiritually fascinating? You know, it's funny you ask that. That's amazing. I was, I literally was in a conversation with somebody else uh, over the weekend about this. And I said, you know what is really striking me, um, and I'm both wrestling with and trying to, is there's a passage in, in Hebrews, in, in, in the 12th, in uh, chapter 12 in Hebrews, um, which, which follows in chapter 11. That's the one that, uh, um, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, yes. the conviction of things not seen. And then chapter 11 goes through people of faith right. um, in the Hebrew scriptures. Um who, who who trusted God on faith, not by sight, but by faith. And it goes through all these, you know, everybody from, you know, Moses, to Abraham and Sarah, and, mm-hmm. um, and on and on and on. And then chapter 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, mm-hmm. let us run with, let us run with perseverance, the race that is set before us. Yes. Um, looking to Jesus, mm-hmm. the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the sake of the joy that was before him endured the cross, the size of shame, and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And I've been been wrestling with, what does it mean to live a life looking at Jesus? Oh, I like that question. And that, and that's, I mean, that's, I mean, I 
been paying attention to that past. I mean, I've known that passage for a while, but for some reason, that hmm. looking at Jesus, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's good. Pioneer has gone on ahead of us. That's true. You know, um, that that's that. You know, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older. I'm not sure what what it is, but for some reason, that is speaking to me, and it's beckoning me. I, and hmm. this may sound strange. I, I when I was a kid, um, the uh, I remember my grandmother used to love to watch religious movies and stuff. And mm-hmm. I remember my daddy was an Episcopal priest, but my grandma was died in the world rock red East Carolina Baptist. Okay, got it. And and oh yeah, grandma's always whispering in one ear, daddy's whispering. Sure. <laughs> but I remember she used to always around Easter, you know, Holy Week, uh, between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, uh-huh. they used to have on TV, they would play all the religious, you know, the greatest story ever told, the Ten yeah. Commandments. Uh, the robe and all these religious movies would be on TV. I don't think they do that anymore, but mm. they used to be on TV. And Grandma would always watch them. And she, one of her favorites was the robe. It's from the fifties, and it, it's about it's a fictional thing based on a book about who, the guy who the soldier who took the robe of Jesus when they crucified him. Okay, and they they were gambling. And that the part of that that part's in the Bible about them gambling for the robe that Jesus was wearing when he got crucified. Mm-hmm. But then they create, then there's a fictional story that was made up. The Roman soldier who took the robe eventually became a Christian. Okay. I mean, he eventually gave his life to this Jesus who mm-hmm. he participated in executing. And the story, and, and as a result, he, he frees his slave. Um, hmm. He, he, um, he tries to say he's a loyal soldier in the Roman army, but he, he won't do what's um, wrong. Hmm. And at the end of the movie, he so infuriates the Caesar of Rome that he refuses to submit to what is hurtful and wrong. Wow. But at the end, he and he and, and the woman that he loves, they are willing to give up their lives for this Jesus Mm -hmm. and they walk off and basically you kind of have to imagine that they walk off eventually to their deaths Yeah, and they follow Jesus in the glory. Hmm. I wonder if looking to Jesus looks like being willing to follow him, his way of love, no matter what the cost. It's good. And, and, and I don't, I don't know that I do that, Hmm. but I want. That's great. That's beautiful. Here's three of the best words in the English language. Fab, fit, fun. You know, for me, of course, feeling fab is the perfect pair of like long dangly earrings. Fit is making like the greatest choices for my body to feel strong and awesome. And fun is just, that's like my life mantra. To help me create more fab and fit and fun experiences, I turn to who else? Fab Fit Fun. Um, So fun times, their spring box has just been revealed and it's on sale for a little limited time right here. You've heard me talk about this before, but it's like Christmas coming in a box for me. I get to customize it with stuff that I exactly want, that fits my style or like what I'm into or what I'm interested in trying. Uh, And if I want to be surprised, no problem. You can just get it like that too. It's happiness delivered straight to your door four times a year, once every season. You get to choose from a variety of beauty, uh, fashion, fitness and wellness products essentially to customize your very own spring box. So you guys, it retails for $49.99, but always uh, every single time has a value of over $200. So to get started, use the coupon code FTL and you'll get $10 off your first box at fabfitfun.com. You're going to love it. So one more time, use the coupon code FTL for $10 off your first box at www.fabfitfun.com today. Back to our show. Hey, 
Okay, uh, your time is so precious. I'm gonna ask oh. two quick, quick <laughs> questions. This is just top of your head stuff. I'm asking okay. all the um, the amazing faith leaders in this series these. So here's just uh, the first one, and this you probably just have to pick one. It'd be hard to pick. It's like David Letterman number yeah, nine. Yes, right, exactly. Right, okay. <laughs> so just whatever comes to mind. Here's the here's the first one. Uh, who's one of your biggest mentors in faith? You know who probably is the biggest one? Hmm. My grandma. I mean, oh, she's your gone grandma. on to glory now. But my grandmother, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. In terms of the depth of, of her, what we would call spirituality. Yeah. I mean, she was, I mean, I, I, my grandmother uh, buried a couple of her own children. Yeah. Um, sent two sons off to war. They both came home, but mm. she didn't know whether they would. Uh, this is the second, during the Second World War. Yeah. But they both lived. Um, then she buried her husband. Mm. Then she buried my mother. Wow. When I was a kid and she turned around and moved in with us and helped to raise us. Did she? And, and did that in her seventies. Hmm. The woman was, and she was a sharecropper's daughter. Gosh. And did domestic work during her adult life and put her own kids through college. Wow. A hero. I mean, I look at this woman and say, my God. Yeah, did that. <laughs> I mean, oh. I haven't even remotely attacked, but I asked myself, how, how did Nellie Strayhorn do that? Mm. Nellie Strayhorn was in the side Baptist church every Sunday, oh my sat goodness. in her pew, and it was her pew. But sat in her <laughs> pew, you know how folk are about that. I sure pews. do. Um, and let me tell you, when the preacher got to preaching and the choir got to singing, something, whatever <laughs> her life was like, mm-hmm. something lifted her up above all the mess that is sometimes life. And she saw a vision, a transcendent vision of something greater than this world. And that gave her the energy and the vitality to live in spite of uh, what life sometimes goes mm. at. I mean, that is, I said, she figured out some of the secrets of life. It's kind of like, where is it, Philippians? Um, I know how to be abused. I know how to be abased and I know how to abide. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Nellie Strayhorn, Figured that out. And I figure she's the best mentor I could get. I couldn't. I mean, I am so happy you just told that story. I'm so glad to know about her life and to draw some strength from her faith and courage and resiliency. That's it, right? That's it. That's the thing. That's That's, it. It really is. That's what we're doing here. That's, oh, thank you for telling her story. That's fantastic. Here's the very last question. Uh-huh. And we, um, I ask every every single guest this. This is kind of the last question. This is from another Episcopal priest, Barbara Brown uh-huh. Taylor, who I love oh, yeah. and has Great been preacher. such Great. D- yeah. just such a mentor to so many of us. Anyway, she asked this question and I love it. And you can answer it however you want. This can be incredibly important or not uh-huh. at all. Okay. Um, what is saving your life right now? Coming home. Oh, nice coming home it's it's um it just makes all the difference in the world it sure does to go and then come home i'm on the road a lot yeah you know, and 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 i love what i do and i and I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do it but ain't nothing like coming home when i fly into raleigh depending on the approach um, I can see the silo from the Angus barn. Amen. <laughs> and when Amen. I see that silo, I know I'm home. Oh, it's so <laughs> great. I love that answer. Oh. Um, Bishop, I want to thank you so much for your time today and your oh. wisdom for just teaching us and leading us today with such um, oh. candor and faithfulness. Your witness has meant so much to me. And I've learned from you and I really appreciate your voice in this world right now. I'm so grateful for your leadership and I, I'm just thrilled about it and I cannot possibly Mm. cheer you on more. And so, um, for, for decades now of just being a faithful person of Jesus, we're grateful. And so thanks for coming on. And, you know, look, I'm in Raleigh quite a bit. And so I'm just telling you, you don't know when I might just knock on your door. I'm just, I don't put it past me. Pay for a meal. Okay. Okay. Jen, you are the best. God bless you in this ministry. You're incredible. Thank you. You too. Well, are you in love? Are you in love? I am. (laughs) I am 
So how wonderful. I actually got, I can't remember if I mentioned this earlier, but I actually got to talk to Bishop Curry for the first time when he invited me on his podcast just a few weeks ago. I think I maybe did mention it. Um, and I was so nervous. Like I was so nervous to speak to him for the first time. I, I just had to do meditation. And so of course he is the kindest, most generous, approachable, wonderful pastor and preacher. So I had nothing to be nervous about, but I'll see if I can find a link to his podcast. I'll put it over at jenhatmaker.com, which by the way, is where we will have this entire interview. Um, the transcript is over there. If you want to read it, we'll have links to all of Bishop Curry's um, sites and social media handles. He's really great to follow. I think I told you as, as soon as he performed the Royal Wedding, I followed him everywhere that very second on my phone because um, he was so spectacular. I hope you are using the podcast page over at jenhatmaker.com. It's an amazing resource for you. If you haven't already done it, Guys, go subscribe to the podcast um, wherever you listen to it. It'll just show up for you every single week. You won't have to work for it at all. So thanks for listening. Thank you for being here. And we will see you next week. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.